Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 10 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. If you're new to the Bible, uh, the Gospel of Luke is real easy to find. If you can find the New Testament, you can find Luke's Gospel. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Gospel of John, Luke 17, 1 through 10. If you did not bring a Bible with you, that's okay, because in the seat before you, down the book rack, you will find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up. Find Luke 17 with us. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you, to read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 17, 1 through 10 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Uh, we, for months now, almost a year, uh, we've been on this wonderful journey through Luke's Gospel, uh, learning more about the life of Jesus. We're on the road to Jerusalem where Jesus will die and then ultimately rise again. It's been an incredible journey as we've been studying uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. We're the kind of church that likes to take books of the Bible like the Gospel of Luke and just walk straight through them because we believe that God speaks to us through his word. Hey, I woke up Monday morning and I had no voice whatsoever. So I've been recovering my voice all week long. So if I sound a little bit raspy and more like a man than normal, uh, that, that is the reason why. Uh, but we're in Luke 17 this morning. We'll read that together in just a moment. Um, so Friday night, Stacy and I, we had a, a fancy dinner we were going to. We got this invitation to this dinner part, this dinner thing going on, but that's neither here nor there. So, so I don't know when it was the last time you went to a fancy dinner, um, but for a guy, it's real easy. I go to my closet and I have um, three suits. And it's a black, a blue, and a gray. And it's eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and whichever one's mo, that's the one I put on, right? And we go, and I don't care if I look like all the other guys. If every other guy has a black suit, that's fine. It's just not a big deal. And so I got dressed and ready to go in about 10 minutes. Now, Stacy's a little bit different because when she goes into her closet, there's 145 dresses. <laughs> and, and when she sees all 145 dresses, you, because you, those of you women, you, you know how this works. She's, there's 145 dresses, but she has nothing to wear. Right, that's just kind of the, the way it works. And so, so, so a few weeks ago, Stacy went shopping for this dinner party we were going to, and she bought a beautiful black dress and shoes. Uh, Stacy doesn't go shopping much, and, and when she does go shopping, is to places like Ross. So uh, she doesn't break the bank, and I'm very thankful for that. So go ahead, go get your five dollar dress at Ross, whatever. And so she went to Ross and, and and got her dress and came home, and and so so Friday night, I'm, I'm getting ready to to go to to our our dinner function, and I, I got dressed and ready to go in about ten minutes my shirt and towel, and I looked really good, right, sitting in the, in the chair downstairs waiting on my wife, and, and, and so time just ticks on and on and on, you know, um, 
I'm the kind of guy that, that if I'm not 15 minutes early, I'm late. Uh, Stacy is the kind of woman that if she's 15 minutes late, she's early. And so, so over the course of our marriage, we've kind of struggled with that just a little bit, but, 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 but the time was ticking away and the time had passed our departure point. I gave her a time in which I wanted to leave and, and, and that time came and went. And so I'm just sitting there and, and I'm a very patient man. Um, <laughs> 1% of the time. And so, so, so I'm sitting there waiting and, and, I, and I hear noises upstairs. The boys are gone, so it's not the boys. Uh, I hear noises like noises of frustration, right? Because listen, I'm so thankful I'm a guy. It's really easy. I mean, you know, you, you put your clothes on, you walk out the door, life is good. Um, if you're a woman, it's, it's apparently a little more complex than that. And, and so she, she, she gets her new dress on and, and, and I, listen, I, I don't know all the details. I mean, cause I'm not a woman. I, I don't get all that stuff. I mean, I, I, 15 years of marriage, I try to be understanding, but, 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 but it just, wasn't working out the outfit the way that she thought it was going to work out. And so she's up there doing things to make it work out. And I don't know, accessorizing. I have no idea. I just, I'm just sitting waiting. And, and so, 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 so finally, after, you know, 20 minutes past our departure time, uh, she comes downstairs and she sets the trap. Husbands, you know exactly what I'm talking about. She sets a trap. And I know it's a trap because I've been married for 15 years and this trap over 15 years has been set over and over and over again. And I, and I know when it's coming, I know the trap and, and I haven't learned how to get out of the trap quite yet. But, but you know the trap and you've been there, husbands. Come on now, the trap was set. She comes down and she asks the question, how do I look? 15 years of marriage, here's why I know. There is not a right answer to that question. I mean, it, there's just not, right? Like, like, like if I tell her she looks great, which she does. My wife is beautiful. She always looks great. And if I tell her she looks great, then, then, then there's a, a bunch of questions that come after that, right? You're just saying that, or why, why do you say that? Or what, if, if I slip up, right? If I slip up and I try not to slip up and I say the opposite, right? Like, well, I don't really like that dress. Oh, my friend, right? Then, 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 then we're another hour and a half of trying to figure out what to wear. So, so the trap is set. She asked the question, how do I look? And, and, and here's what I know, like every time that trap is set, like I can't win. Like there, there's no right answer to that question. She sets the trap and, and, and I did what I was supposed to do. I said, well, you look great. And her response was, you're only saying that because we're late. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I can't win, right? I mean, you've been there, you understand? And so, so which was true. I mean, she did look great, but, but then he rest another story for another day. So all that to say in 15 years of marriage, what I've learned is like communication can be a bit of a challenge. I've learned that in relationships in general, that, that sometimes we misspeak. Sometimes we say things that are hurtful. Sometimes we, we, we say things that we shouldn't have said. I mean, this is the challenge of relationships. It's a challenge in your marriage that, that there are times when you just don't communicate well and, and you say the wrong thing. It's a challenge in your other relationships, maybe as a parent with your children. It's a challenge in our churches. Here's what I know about our church, man. We, we, are, we are a unified church. And I'm very thankful uh, for what God has given us here at Northwood. Also know that coming December, I've been here seven years and I'm very thankful for that. But here's the deal, right? Here's what I know. In seven years of being your pastor, I am certain without a doubt that I've probably said some dumb things, some dumb things that may have hurt you. You get it? But here's also the reality. Over the last seven years, some of you have said some dumb things to me that have hurt me. 
That's just a fact because here we are in a room like this and you know what you are? You're the same thing I am. You're a human being with a sinful nature. And because you're a human being with a sinful nature, just like me, we have a tendency to speak sinful things. We have a tendency to hurt people. We've all been there. And I know in a room like this, uh, there are some of us in this room this morning that are struggling because we've been hurt by somebody else. And we, ha we have a hard time getting past that hurt. We have a hard time forgiving. So here we are in Luke chapter 17, and this is a great passage of scripture because this passage, I think, is teaching us how to handle our relationships with care. We've looked at a lot of stuff in Luke's gospel. We've looked at some weighty theological things. We've, we've, we've worked through some difficult teachings of Jesus. We've looked at lots of parables and miracles. What I, what I appreciate about this passage of scripture, it is down to earth, practical teaching from Jesus. That I think that if you will listen well this morning, uh, that, that these words that Jesus is going to speak to you, they're gonna help you in your walk with the Lord and help you in your relationships as you learn to imitate Christ in the way that, you forgive other people. And my prayer this morning is that as we spend time under God's word together, is that the spirit of God would move in your life in such a way that today he would lead you to do some business with some other people in your life where, they might, where there might be some relational distress, some relational brokenness. Because what I want to do from this text, or, or show you, I wanna show you three challenges from this text that I think are gonna help you to handle your relationships with care. So take your Bibles, Luke chapter 17, verses one through 10. Go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the ring of God's word. Luke 17, one through 10, listen to what the Bible says. Jesus said this to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, then you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will, be, it will obey you. Which one of you having a servant attending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. Does he think that the servant, because he did what was commanded, in the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We're only, we've only done our duty. Father, I pray for the, our time together this morning uh, that we be a people this morning that are quick to listen to your word. We trust right now that you're going to speak to us. And as you speak to us, help us to listen well. I know that in a room like this, there are many of us that are struggling through some relationships. Father, help us. Help us to learn how to look at people with the eyes of Jesus, to handle relationships with care in the same way that Jesus handles us with care. So Spirit of God, we're trusting your work in these moments now. Help us to, be, help us to receive your word and obey your word this morning and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, you know where we are in, in Luke's gospel and you know that over uh, the last few weeks, we've, we've looked at, at different parables and the parables that we've looked at over the last few weeks, Jesus is specifically addressing the Pharisees. 
He's showing them, now watch this, he's showing the Pharisees over and over again how, how they're hypocritical in the way they live and, and he's showing them as well how they are stumbling blocks. You think about the Pharisees, these are the people that should have helped people to understand the truth about God. But the problem with the Pharisees, and you know this, is that they didn't understand the truth about God. Uh, they were so uh, hyper-focused on, on, on law and tradition that they missed the truth that was standing before them. And so, so now what's happening in the text is Jesus is shifting from talking to the Pharisees to talking to his disciples. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, I don't want you to be like that. You know, the Pharisees, they are a stumbling block for everyone because of their hypocritical ways. And I don't want you to be a stumbling block. Look at what the text says. For example, you see what it says. Jesus says to his disciples, offenses will certainly come. If you're reading out of maybe the, the ESV translation, it might say something like temptations are certainly to come. And you know this, like Jesus is just reminding us, he is not unaware that you live, that I live in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, we can expect temptation. And in a fallen world, we can expect to be offended as well from time to time. That's part of living in a fallen world. But listen to what Jesus says. Offenses will certainly come, but listen, but woe to the one through whom they come. Temptation will come. It's gonna happen. You're gonna experience it, but woe to the one who tempts someone else to sin. Woe to the one who tries to lead someone away from God instead of leading someone to God. Look at what it says. This is very interesting. Oh, this is powerful. Verse two. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. You, you understand the picture, don't you? That, that here in Luke's gospel, Luke has been quick to show us that people like the poor and the lame and the blind and the outcast have been entering into the kingdom of God. They've been coming to Christ. And now Jesus is saying to his disciples, watch out, these little ones that are coming to faith, do not be a stumbling block to them like the Pharisees are. The Pharisees lead people away from the truth. I don't want you to do that. Woe to you, right? It's better if you have a millstone hung around your neck. Now, I, here, here's what I know. I know that we don't use millstones a lot today, uh, but if you were to go to Israel with me, we're gonna see some millstones. In fact, I brought a picture just in case you didn't know what it looks like. This is a picture of a millstone. It's, they weigh several hundred pounds. It's stone that was used to grind out grain. It would take several people to operate this thing to grind out that grain. Now, listen to what Jesus is saying, because this will blow your mind. What Jesus is saying is that if you're that kind of person that leads someone away from Christ, that you, in the way that you live, you tempt each other uh, to walk away from Christ, you are a stumbling block and it's better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and you are thrown into to sea. In other words, now this is gonna shock you, but listen, I, it's gonna shock you. What Jesus is saying is that if you are that person that is continually leading someone into sin, it's better that you are dead than alive. You follow? There's a pastor that I appreciate and admire. His name is Kent Hughes. And I was reading a book by Kent Hughes and, and, and he said this. He said this about pastors that he prays for on a regular basis. He said, I have occasionally prayed with my pastoral colleagues. Lord, if one of us here is headed for adultery, take him home now. That's serious, right? And, and, and you read a statement like that, you understand. Like to, to lead someone into sin, to commit adultery, it ruins, just as an example, right? It affects your life. 
It affects that person that you commit adultery with and it affects families. It, it breaks things down. And so Kent Hughes says, man, I just pray that if someone's tempted to go that direction, that God would take them out. That's tough. And I know what you're thinking, man, like that's really tough. But think about, think about the heart behind it, right? Like, because here you are in this room and, and, and we have a tendency as followers of Jesus just to, to, to think what? That, that sin is not a big deal. We all do it. We all mess up. And, and that's true, right? We all sin. We all mess up. But I don't ever want you to think that sin is not a big deal because it's obvious by what Jesus is saying here that sin is a very big deal. And what can happen, and listen, your sin, because you and I think this, but it's just not true. You and I have a tendency to think that, that sin is a private matter. And our rebellion against God doesn't affect anybody but ourselves. And that's just a lie from the pit of hell. Because your sin, it always has ramifications in your relationships. And, and your sin, the way that you walk away from God, it can and it does make you a stumbling block to other people. You might not think it's a big deal, but my friend, it could not be a bigger deal. And it could be in this room this morning that, that you're not aware, but maybe this morning you are a stumbling block. And so, so here's the first challenge from the text I just want you to think through. Let's protect each other from sin. And so here's the question though, how do you know? How do you know if you're not protecting people from sin? How do you know if you may be a stumbling block? Well, there's lots of ways you can be a stumbling block, but let me give you some ways that you can know if you might be a stumbling block this morning. One, there might be a matter of theological negligence in your life. I look across this room and here's what I see. Lots of different people in different stages of life, but I know in this room, there are a lot of us that are parents or grandparents. And, and here's my concern. It could be for some of us who are parents or grandparents that we don't know the truth of God's word very well. And so what happens around the dinner table, what happens in our homes is that we give a lot of theological half-truths. We talk about God, but we don't talk about him well because we don't know the truth well. And then what we do is we end up leading our children into error, our grandchildren into error. They don't know the truth well because we don't know the truth well. And what we do, we become a stumbling block before them because we haven't taught them the truth about God. They don't know how to stand in their faith because they have not learned truth from you, theological negligence. Or think about this, a godless example. Because here's what I also know, that for some of us, we do a really good job of getting dressed on Sunday mornings and being here on Sunday mornings and, and practicing, now watch, a Sunday morning faith where we look really good and you come and you say the right thing, but, but those who know you best know that who you are on Sunday morning is not who you are the rest of the week. You set a rather godless example. You talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. And what you do, you become a stumbling block because the people watching you say, oh, well, that must be what it looks like to be a Christian. You just say the right thing and then you live however you want to, right? You're a stumbling block. Or think about these other two, hurtful words. Because you've been there. You've said hurtful words to a spouse, to your kids, to a classmate. You've said words out of anger. And when you've said those hurtful words, when you've put somebody down, what happens? That person you say the hurtful words to, what do they become? Angry, bitter, resentful. You cause them to sin in the way they respond to you because of your hurtful words, your stumbling blocker. Think about this. You pressure others to satisfy your desires. Come on, join in with me. Join. Come on, let, let's gossip about this person. I just wanna spend some time being judgmental. Will you judge with me, right? Or let's take it a step further for those in this room who might be single in a dating relationship. 
Come on. You pressure to give in just a little bit to sexual temptation? Stumbling block. It could be a million different things, right? But, but for some of us, we present a stumbling block simply by pressuring others to join in our desires. And what Jesus is saying, he could not be any more clear. If that is you, oh, woe to you. Be careful, right? I mean, uh, again, it's, it's shocking words, but I think it's shocking for a reason that Jesus wants us to understand how serious this is. It is better for you to be dead than for you to continually lead people astray. What Jesus wants from you and me is that we protect each other from sin. Not that we encourage others to sin. And that's a big deal, right? I was reading a Dave Ram or not reading. I was listening to Dave Ramsey this week. I don't know if any of you guys listen to his radio show. It always fascinates me to listen. So every now and then I'll, I'll give him a listen. And, and he had a guy call in, which was really interesting. So this guy called in and he had, and I don't advise this, but what he did is that he entered into an office pool and they bought lottery tickets and they won big time. And so his winnings from that lottery after taxes were $22 million. Not a bad day, right? $22 million. Anyway, so, so he tells his wife, which is probably a smart thing. And he tells his sister, and those were the only two people he told. And he didn't change his lifestyle whatsoever. He didn't go buy a new car. He didn't go buy a new house. He didn't take a big vacation. The only thing he bought with his winnings was uh, patio furniture. Why not, right? Like everybody needs new patio furniture. So he has teenage kids. He did not tell his teenage kids that he had won $22 million. I mean, think about it, right? Like if you're a teenager, if you're 45, like I am, I would want them to tell me they won $22 million, right? Like that's a big, that's information you don't hide from your kids, you understand? But he did. And Dave asked him why. And what he said was, I don't want them to live with a sense of entitlement because of the money that I have. So he did not change his lifestyle, watch this, because he wanted to protect his kids. Now, I tell you that to tell you this, how serious are you about protecting the spiritual walk of the people that God has placed in your care. You see what I'm saying? And it may be this morning, if you're real honest, that you're more of a stumbling block to others by your godless example, by your hurtful words, by your constant pressure, or whatever the case may be, rather than being a help to somebody. And so listen, the first challenge is real clear from this text. Let's help others. Let's protect others from sin. But, but also there's a second challenge, just real quick. Let's forgive each other repeatedly. Now this is where it gets really interesting. So Jesus, he, he talks about these things in the first couple of verses. And then you get to verse three and look at what Jesus says. Now this is good. Be on your guard. Underline that phrase, be on under your guard and, and don't overlook it. Be on your guard on the one hand that you don't become a stumbling block. Be on your guard, on the other hand, knowing what Jesus said in verse one, offenses will come, temptation will come. There are going to be those moments in life and we've all experienced them. There are gonna be those moments when someone what? Hurts you, when someone sins against you, when someone does something that wrongs you. Be on guard because when someone sins against you, when someone hurts you, when someone does something that causes you pain, the temptation is going to be what? To respond in sin rather than responding in holiness and righteousness. And so Jesus says, be on your guard. Now listen to what he says. If your brother sins, you might wanna underline this word too, rebuke him. Now we're going to get into this text where Jesus is teaching us about forgiveness. And this is a big deal 
right? Like I want to, to be good at forgiving others because Jesus forgives. Like I want to imitate Jesus and to imitate Jesus means I'm going to live a life of forgiveness. Now I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't tell us to do in these verses. Jesus doesn't say if someone sins against you to deny it, to completely overlook it, to pretend like it never happened. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, if someone sins against you, rebuke them. Now, rebuking someone isn't yelling at them. It isn't accusing. It isn't getting in their faces and telling them how it is. That's not rebuking, right? There's this idea of loving correction. Like, I, I, I've been at this a long time. And here's what typically happens. I'll, all the time, over 20-something years of ministry, people will come. Hey, pastor, someone did this to me. Someone hurt me. What should I do? Let me tell you what you do. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus is teaching on the same subject. In fact, it's just an extended teaching of what we have in Luke's gospel. And in Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says something like this. If someone sins against you, and you probably know how this phrase ends. If someone sins against you, go to them in what? Private. Go to them alone. Now we have a hard time doing that because here's what happens. When someone sins against us, do you know what you have the tendency to do? You want to build up a coalition, right? You won't believe what he did to me. You won't believe what she did. Can you believe that he said this? Can you believe that she did this? And and what you want is you want a lot of sympathy from other people, don't you? You want people to, yeah, he's a low down dirty dog. I can't believe she did that either. I would never talk to her again. You want to build up a coalition of people who agree with you as you judge somebody else. That's what you want when you're sinned against. But Jesus says, no, no, that's not what you do. When someone sins against you, what do you do? You go to them alone. You go to them alone alone. You go to them alone. You don't broadcast it to everybody else. You don't gossip about what's happened. You go to that person and you rebuke them. You, you point out, again, it's not yelling at them. It's not getting in their face. It's, it's none of those things. It's pointing out to somebody else. Hey, it's simply saying in an assertive but loving way, this is what you did that hurt me. You do that alone. Now, I understand that that's difficult. I understand that can be a challenge for some of us. us. It takes a step of faith, but that's what Jesus tells you to do. You follow. This is what he tells you to do. You lovingly rebuke. You lovingly correct. And not only do you lovingly correct, you be willing to restore. Because look at what else Jesus says. He says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And then if he repents, forgive him. Now, here's the reality. I've been at this long enough to know, and you've been at it long enough to know that when you go to someone and say, hey, this is what you did to hurt me, come on, now you know this. It doesn't always go well. There'll be some times when that person that that hurts you, when you confront them in that, that they'll just laugh in your face or they'll get all defensive and it might go bad. And, And when it does go bad, there may not be a path sometimes towards restoration. I get that. But what Jesus is talking about is if someone repents. In other words, if you confront someone who sinned against you and you say, hey, this is how you hurt me and they repent, then you have a responsibility. If someone repents, you have a responsibility to begin to restore that relationship. Now, because this is what's hard and you know this, now come on. You've also been there when you went to somebody and said, hey, this 
is what you did that hurt me. And that person asked for forgiveness. They apologized and they said, will you forgive me? And then nothing changed in the relationship. You kept holding on to animosity. You kept holding on to vengeance in your heart. You kept wanting the worst for that person. You might've said the words, I forgive you, but deep in your heart, you did not. And that relationship hasn't gotten better. Even though you've said the words, I forgive you, the relationship hasn't gotten better. It's only deteriorated because you really haven't shown grace. You're just what? Repaying evil for evil. This is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying what? That, that if you are in a situation that you lovingly confront somebody, you rebuke them, and then they repent, you have a responsibility to restore. Now that restoration, I get it. It doesn't happen overnight necessarily, but over time, you rebuild trust in that relationship and you put it back together. That's a picture of the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for us. He has restored us as we've come to him seeking forgiveness. You follow me? Now, but listen, listen. For that to happen, for you to be willing to restore, you have to be willing to identify with the person who sinned against you. Because here's what happens. Now, come on, are you listening? Here's what happens. In that moment, when someone sins against you, you know what you have a tendency to feel like? You have a tendency to feel like when somebody sins against you that you are superior to them. And you'll tell yourself these lies. I know you will, because I do it too. I would never do that to somebody else. I would never treat someone like he treated me. I would never say to someone what, what she said to me. I would never do that to somebody else. And that just ain't true. You follow? Because the reality is you are sinful too. And the reality is you've hurt people as well. Don't think you're better. Don't think you're better than somebody else because come on now, you've done it too. And so part of it, right, when you are working through confrontation and a relationship and trying to practice forgiveness, it is identifying with that person. That's grace to say, you know what? I've been there too. I ain't no better than you are. I've hurt people as well. Now watch this. And being willing, go to the next slide, being willing to absorb the debt of the person who sinned against you. Because here's what sin does, and you know this, it causes pain. And, and, and here's what sin does. It gives you a desire to want to repay evil for evil. And so what you want to do is to get even. You want to punish that person who sinned against you. But, but, but listen, here's what Jesus did at the cross. Not only did he absorb your debt, he took your debt upon himself. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He never sinned against anybody and went to a cross and, and paid your debt. He suffered the punishment for your sins and then three days later rose from the dead so that all of your sins could be forgiven and you could be given the gift of life, abundant and eternal. And so when I say absorb the debt, I mean, you gotta drop it. You see what I'm saying? Like when someone hurts you and they repent and you say, I forgive you, that's it. You might still feel some pain over that and I get it, but you're not gonna hold that pain against them. This is why when you read the New Testament and in places like Hebrews 13, right, where, where, where the writer says that, that, that our God remembers our sins no more. Here's what I know about God. He's got a pretty good memory. You know what I'm saying? Like, I promise you, God ain't forgot a thing. He knows everything you've done, every bit of it. It's not that God forgets what you've done. It's that God treats you as if you never did it. That's forgiveness. That's absorbing debt. This hurt, and I acknowledge that you hurt me, but I'm not gonna treat you in such a way that I constantly hold it over your head. I'm gonna forgive, and I'm gonna move on. 
Think about this. And I'm gonna be willing to want good for the person who sinned against me. Why? Because here's what I know about God. Here's what I know about Christ, the one who we are trying to imitate. What I know about Christ is he wants what for you? Good. You you follow. Jesus does not want evil for you. No, he came and defeated evil for you because he loves you and cares about you. He rose from the dead to restore you because he wants good for you. But here's why I know that we might say sometimes, I forgive you, but what we really want is not good for that person who hurt us. We want evil. We want to see them suffer. No, 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 no. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Forgiveness means, right, I'm not gonna hold it against you. And not only am I not going to hold it against you, I really want good for you. I want to see you prosper in your walk with the Lord. I wanna see you find hope in the gospel. That's what you want, even for that person who's hurt you. You want to see them, right, grow in Christ's likeness. You see what I'm saying? And finally, think about this. Be willing to offer continual forgiveness. That's what Jesus says in the text. So he says, rebuke, and if he repents, Forgive him, and then he goes on to say, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back for you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, you understand this. When Jesus uses the number seven, he's not putting a limit on it, like only seven times. You probably understand because you're good Bible students that in the Bible, that number seven is a a significant number because it's symbolic of completion or wholeness. And so the idea here is like, you keep giving grace. If someone genuinely repents and they do it again and they come back and repent again, you give them grace. Why? Well, one, because that's what Jesus has done for you. Let me ask you this question. In your life, has grace run out? No. Praise God, because you do stupid and I do stupid all the time. We rebel against God all the time. And, 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 and God doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at me and say, that's the limit. My grace ends there. No, no, his grace is unlimited for you. Praise the Lord, right? And in the same way, if we're gonna imitate Jesus, this is what Jesus is calling us to. Imitate his grace in such a way that you keep offering it because that's what Jesus does. And now think about this. You also offer grace continually. Do you know why? Now, come on, you know this. You know this about you. You know this about others. You continue to offer grace because people are what? Slow to change. That's just reality. That doesn't mean that God's not sanctifying us. God is sanctifying us, obviously, through the spirit of Christ. But, but some of us, we just have a hard time learning. And here's what I know about you because I know it about me. I have, I have sinned against people, repented, got it right, but then gone back later on and done the same thing because I'm slow to learn. And so are you. We're slow to change sometimes. And so that's why we need from each other continual grace. Now, again, just notice what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying deny the sin. He's not saying overlook it. He's not saying not confront it. He is giving us a process to handle our relationships with care, to show love and grace, to forgive in a way that honors him and imitates him. And, and, and listen, here's what I know because you know it too. I've been at this a long time. You've been at it a long time too. I have seen so many relationships over the course of 20 years of ministry, broken and never restored because people were unwilling to forgive. And it shouldn't have happened. It was so easy. If that person, if those people would have simply walked in obedience, restoration could have happened. I've seen it in the church. I have seen churches split wide open because this person said this about this person and they couldn't come together and work it out. 
and, we're, and churches have been wrecked because of a lack of forgiveness. I've seen it. Why is that? Why is it that we have such a hard time doing this? Can I tell you why? And I, know, and I know on a Sunday morning, this is not what you want to hear from your preacher. I get it, but let me just tell you the truth about it. You know why we have a hard time with this? Because you are hard-headed, right? I, some, of, some of you just looked at your husband. Stop that. <laughs> I know he's hard-headed. You are too. I am too. I'm probably the most hard-headed person in here, but that's who we are. We are hard-headed people. Who, a, who struggle with this, right? And so on a day like today, it's asking God to soften our hearts, to see the grace of Christ afresh again. And it's just determining to do what Jesus says. Listen, I know some of you this morning, you wanna give your excuses. I can't do that because, or pastor, you don't understand the hurt I've been through, or you don't know what she did to me. You don't know how he treated me. I get all that. Whatever your excuse is, it's not excuse enough for you to disobey what God is clearly spelling out in his word. Those excuses just don't hold water. Jesus is telling you what to do. I know it ain't easy. I know it's challenging. And I know it doesn't make everything magically better overnight. I get all that. But as a follower of Jesus, you have a call on your life. You've been given the word. You've been told what to do. And it is hard-headed. But not only hard-headed, it is downright sinful for you to not respond to what Jesus is saying in these verses in obedience. So here's what I would say to you. And I say this with as much love as I can possibly muster up, but I mean it. If you're struggling with forgiveness, get over yourself, right? Because oftentimes, now I'm trying to say that with grace because I know there's real hurt and pain oftentimes. But oftentimes what keeps us from forgiving others is just a prideful heart where we're not willing in humility to offer grace like Jesus Christ has offered grace to us. That's not what it should look like in the body of Christ. That's not how we protect unity. We protect unity by protecting each other from sin. We protect unity by continually forgiving each other. You follow? So let's do it. Let's protect each other from sin. Let's, let's forgive each other repeatedly. And finally, we're done with this and we gotta go faster. Let's live out our faith even when it's hard. Let me show you from the text. And we'll take about five minutes to do this. So don't watch your watch. I just told you how long it was gonna take me. Here we go. Look at what it says in verse five. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. You can understand why they said that because Jesus has just given them hard words, words that we struggle with. And, and it's almost like the apostles are saying to Jesus or the disciples are saying to Jesus, ain't no way. You see what you're asking of us, Jesus? We can't possibly do that. Forgiven that way over and are you serious? Do you know what she did? Do you know what he did? We need more faith if we're gonna do that. We ain't there yet. Just give us some time and maybe someday we'll get to that. But that's not what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus says. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. You, you see what Jesus is saying? Now, come on, follow me. The disciples say, ain't no way. Increase our faith. There's no way we can do all that, Jesus. And Jesus says what? You've already got enough faith. Because that's what you have. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, now watch, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, if you've trusted him as Lord, do you know what you have? Faith. Do you know why, how I know you have faith? Because you were saved by what, church? Faith, right? So I want you to think about this, right? Acknowledge that there are times when you don't want to live out your faith. When you don't want to forgive someone, that's essentially what you don't want to do. You don't want to live out your faith. 
You might say to God, God, I can't do that right now. I gotta grow more. I just, I can't get past it. No, no, no. What Jesus is calling to do is to live out the faith you have. It may be hard. It may be challenging. It may be difficult. I get all that. But right now, Jesus is saying, if you're in broken relationships, if you've sinned against somebody or somebody sinned against you, live out the faith you proclaim. Look like Jesus and act like Jesus in the way that you forgive other people. Live out the faith you already have, knowing that living out your faith grows you in your faith. You follow me? Like you're saying, I need more faith to do that. No, no, no. The way you grow in faith is by actually living out your faith. The more you do what Jesus calls you to do, the more you do what he asks of you, the more you see Christ growing you in Christ's likeness. That's just the way that it works. Now, one more thing happens here. Jesus tells a little story. Let me just summarize it real quick. What Jesus does, we don't have time to walk all the way through it, but Jesus tells this story about a servant. He's come out, he's been out in the field all day working hard and he comes back to his master's home and, and the master doesn't say to him, the master doesn't say to him, you've worked so hard in the field, servant. Why don't you take the rest of the night off? Go watch some Netflix, you know, make you a milkshake. Just kick back and relax. That's not what the master says. Instead, the servant comes into the master's house and the master says, hey, get me dinner. Get my slippers out, right? Get my stuff ready for tomorrow. And then the servant does all that. And then the servant, after everything is done, then he finally eats and finally goes to bed. And look at what Jesus says at the end. This is what Jesus says. You come down to verse 10. In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. I think the point Jesus is getting to is that this is who you are. In your master's house, in the father's house, you are certainly a child of God, but you're also a servant. And what does a servant do? His duty. A servant just does what he's told. Now, why do we do what God tells us to do? because we're more than servants. We're servants, but we're also his children. And we are convinced because of our faith in Jesus Christ that God knows what's best for us. And so we don't do duty out of obligation. We do it out of love. We serve God because we know he loves us and we serve him out of a heart of love. But I just want you to understand, being a follower of Jesus, it is oftentimes about doing your duty because you know what God you know God knows what's best for you and you know that God loves you. You simply do what he tells you to do, right? And here's what I know. And we've talked about this before, but I've been at this a long time. And over the course of many years of ministry, I have yet to have someone come to me and say, Tommy, I obeyed God and I wish I hadn't. It just hasn't happened. I have had plenty of people come to me over the years and say what? I didn't obey God and I wish I had. Or I obeyed God and I wish I had done it sooner. But here's just what I've learned in my own life and in pastoral ministry. No one regrets obeying God. No one at the end of the day says, you know what? That obeying God stuff, it just really wasn't a good idea because you know better. Because you see how the spirit of God's at work, even when it's messy, even when it's hard, you see how the spirit of God is at work in you when you simply obey him because he's a loving father who knows what he's doing in your life. And so I, I say all that to get you to this point. Here's what I know in this room this morning. When it comes to relationships and handling our relationships with care, there are some of you in this room that are struggling. And the reason why you're struggling is because you're unwilling to forgive. You're unwilling to have the hard conversations. You're unwilling to work through it. You'd rather get all prideful and hard-headed 
And you'd rather talk about the person that hurts you rather than actually doing the hard work of restoring that relationship. And that just does not honor the Lord. You're gonna find much joy, even when it's hard. And even if it doesn't work out the way you think it should work out, you're gonna find much joy in simply doing what God says and leaving the results to him. And so the challenge for some of us in this room this morning is do it. You know where your relationships are broken. You know what relationships are hurting. You know the pain you've been caused. But do what God says and leave it in God's hands and see how it honors the Lord. Do it. Because Jesus has told you to do it. And you want to imitate your master, you see. And maybe you're in this room this morning and the reason why you have a hard time forgiving others is because you in this room have never experienced the forgiveness of your savior. Listen, if you don't know this, I want you to know that there's a God who loves you. A God who loves you so much that in spite of your sin, in spite of your rebellion, in spite of what you've done to God, By rebelling against him, he has chosen to love you so much that he sent his son Jesus who lived the life that you could not live perfect in every way and went across and and paid your debt, died in your place, suffered the punishment that you deserve for your sin and rose from dead three days later so that all of your sins could be forgiven. You are restored to the father because you serve a forgiving God. And praise God this morning that if you've never placed your faith in Jesus this morning, you can experience the forgiveness of the Father that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ if you repent from your sins and turn to him by faith. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. And when we end our time together in just a moment with a song invitation, uh, there will be people at those crosses ready to receive you and pray for you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. Please go to one of those crosses. And today, begin our relationship with Jesus. If you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, maybe the invitation for you this morning is to obey. And maybe for you this morning, it's just coming before God. Maybe you wanna come down front or in the chair where you are, just asking God to help you because you know the struggle of this passage. You feel the tension. You know the hurt. God, would you help me? Because I wanna imitate my master who knows what's best for me. Will you help me to live out the truth of this word that we've studied this morning? I don't know how God is leading you to respond, but I know that he is. Father, thank you for this morning, for time together in your word. Father, for every person in this room, I pray that we would continue to know the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. For that person in this room who's yet to place his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that person will come this morning trusting you as Lord. And so Father, in these final moments, would you please have your way among us? And would you help us in these moments to respond to your voice, to your spirit's calling in obedience I ask, In Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.